Awesome. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 14. We're going to read six verses of Scripture to start today, verses 15 through 21. So go ahead and open your Bible there, John 14, 15 through 21. I do want to say as we're finding the Scripture, um, I'm excited that Ben is back. Welcome back, bro. We are so glad that you're back from St. Louis. If you guys um, are just meeting him for the first time, he led worship today, he and Cassie, and we're so thankful that you're back, my bro. Welcome. Love you, man. So good. Good times. I don't know if you guys have met Kristen yet, but she just moved here from Canada, and she's a sweetheart, and she's awesome, and she designed this uh, fitness challenge that the staff, uh, we're all on this fitness challenge. And uh, I had raisin bran this morning, so I lost two points for eating that sugar. And I had gluten. Cassie's eating a donut. I'm still winning. (laughs) Just kidding. We both lost two points today. We both lost two points. Family moment. Um, Also, man, I just, I don't know. There's just something that feels like family today, so I'm just going to roll with it. Man, I'm excited. Hey, Wilder's coming soon. The Grams, right? How, how soon is Wilder getting here? Three weeks? He's coming soon. Every time I see you walk in, I'm just like, I don't know, I get excited. I don't know something about it, man. Kristen's just like the most beautiful pregnant lady, isn't she, sweetheart? Yeah, it's true. If you, if you don't know who we're talking, just look back and you'll admonish her beauty. Awesome. So you guys doing well? Oh, you guys ready to read this scripture? Four people. Yeah, I'm just kidding. You guys ready to read this scripture? How many of you guys are excited about the word of God? We're ready to hear a word from the Lord. Awesome. So let's read it together. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. How many of you guys know, sorry to interrupt you. How many of you guys know that when Jesus asked the father for something, God cannot help but to grant his request? right? So when you have Jesus praying for you, there is no better person to have interceding on your behalf. And Jesus is praying for you today. Amen. And he says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. You know, uh, there's different translations, but essentially we know what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Everybody say the spirit. spirit to be with you forever. Notice that the Spirit doesn't come and go, but that it resides with you. It takes up residence on the inside of you. Once you receive it, it doesn't come and go just like, oh, well, you know, today you got the Holy Spirit, tomorrow you don't. Sorry about your luck, you know? But the Spirit takes up residence on the inside of you to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Notice Christ making... um, delineation, if you will, between the spirit of the world and the spirit of God. Spirit of God is the spirit of truth, whereas the spirit of the world is the spirit of error or, or, you know, no faith, assumption, but not the surety of understanding that Jesus is king, the spirit of truth, the way, the truth, and the life, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. Everybody say, I I know him. him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Here's the best part. I mean, it's all good, but this is really good. I will not leave you as orphans. Let's Let's all say that together. 
I will not leave you as orphans. That's good, isn't it? I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. That's a great promise from Jesus, amen? I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus, we wanna thank you for your word today. We wanna thank you for your spirit today. We wanna thank you that you yourself are the way, the truth, and the life. You lead us into all things good. You lead us into an abundant life. So today we pray that we might feast on your truth, that we could be transformed by your spirit that's within us and that we would come to know that we are sons and daughters of God, that we have been adopted by your spirit and that we are no longer orphans. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen, amen. amen. There's a few of you guys who've been here with Legacy from the very beginning. If that's you, just raise your hand. It's been like a few of you guys. Awesome, a few of you guys. Amazing, maybe six. Austin's pretty much from the beginning. You know, Austin's been around for a long time. Maybe six or seven of you guys. And before um, we began Legacy, which uh, when we started was called IRIS, for those of you guys aware of IRIS Global, the missionary organization, that happened because at the time, we were basically missionaries, to be honest. Before I was a church planter in America, before I was a pastor, I was a missionary to Mozambique, Africa, and Andhra Pradesh, India, which is the southeastern uh, part of India. And since then, it's actually split into two different states. But uh, at age 24, I began a nonprofit organization called Mercy 29. Some of you guys are aware of that, some of you not. But for the five years that I was a missionary, um, I was in Africa and India. And during that time, this organization that I began, Mercy 29, helped thousands of orphans. I know some of you guys don't know this. So you're probably like, what? You used to do this? You know, but we helped thousands of orphan children. In India, we helped to rescue over 400 children from human trafficking, child slavery, and prostitution. That's which, if you guys keep up with you know, human trafficking aid, you know, that's just like, that's the Lord. That's just God, you know? And uh, in, in, in India, Mercy 29 helped to start about eight different homes for orphan kids. And we, we started a free primary school for poor children, for orphans as well. And when I think back on those five years of my life, what God did through Mercy 29, which you know, had a very humble beginning, is quite unbelievable to me. I, I honestly, I can't, even, I can't even imagine that I lived that life because I think back and I try to articulate my time as a missionary, and the only thing that I can say is, wow, wasn't that God? Wow. Like, honestly, now that I look back, I'm like, I cannot believe that what God allowed me to do. It was almost as if, if you said, hey, describe your experience as a missionary, I would say this, man, God was doing stuff, and I was along for the ride. That's pretty much how I would sum it up because it was so amazing. It grew so quickly. I was only 24 years old when it really got started and it quickly became something that ministered to thousands of orphan kids, which is pretty incredible. But when I look back at where it all started, it had an extremely humble beginning. 
It started when I was 23 years old. I was in Pimba, Mozambique, serving as a missionary student with the Iris Global Harvest School. And for, how many, anybody, any Harvest School alumni in here? Any of you guys? Awesome. See, like four or five of you guys. Amazing. So one day in Pimba, Mozambique, as I was, as I was um, a part of the school, I decided to skip class. And for those of you guys in here that went to that school, you know that you need to do that every now and then because it's like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. It's like they bring in all these amazing speakers from all over the world. You're in church for pretty much eight hours a day, which is awesome. But every now and then you just gotta excuse yourself and take a day off. And so I was doing that and I went to this place called the Chicken Shack. And if you went to Harvest School recently, you don't have the Chicken Shack anymore, all right? It's like a, it's like a cool restaurant now, I think. But back then there was this thing called the Chicken Shack. And... Um, it was as nasty as it sounds, or as far as it was as dirty as it sounds. It was probably very unsanitary. It's probably nothing clean about it. Health score, probably like a good 25, something like that. Definitely would have been closed down. And it was like one guy, there was no walk-in freezer, okay? There was one guy uh, cooking all the food. And, and for a dollar and 50 cents, you could get a half grilled chicken and some French fries for a dollar and 50 cents. And it was amazing. The food was really good. And so I, I, I skipped class one day because I was like, oh, I'm just too full. I'm gonna go down and I'm gonna sit down at the chicken shack and I'm gonna grab me a Coke and some cookies because that's what you do in Mozambique. Everybody drinks Coke and, um, like from, the, from the bottle, right? So it's healthier, right, Sarah? Okay, yeah, she's, she's a health coach. So I'm just, she said she confirmed that. Um, so, you know, we're sitting there. We're sit, I, I'm sitting there, actually. I'm sitting there, I'm having my Coke and my cookies and I look over because there's this little girl who's looking at me through the window. And she just kind of staring in, just like looking at me, you know, and she has this big smile on her face. And, and I, I realized this girl's skipping school too. You know, like, I like her. She's a little cheeky girl, you know? So I'm like, hey, come on in, get some Coke and, and uh, good example I am, get some Coke and cookies, you know? So she comes down and she sits down, I give her some cookies and I'm like, hey, you know, is, you want anything else? And she's like, chicken. I'm like, all right, cool, I got you. So we order a chicken and, you know, French fries and we're sitting there eating together and we're talking and connecting and I get to know her and her name is Zina. So some of you guys probably know Zina uh, from the base if you've been there before. Well, when I met Zina, she was somewhere around seven years old and she, I learned very quickly that she was an orphan and Zina had lost her father a few years previous. He passed away. I'm, I'm not sure if it was from cancer or what, but it, it was suddenly and it was in the hospital. And um, she, was, she was left to herself because after her father passed away, her mom had abandoned her and just left her in the city of Pimba. And so she was found actually at the church when she was begging, going house to house, and then made her way to the church because she was looking for food along with her sisters. She had been moved into a house with 12 other children, and these 12 children were all orphans. And they lived with a group of grandmothers that were all disabled. Most of them were blind. And this was her living situation. She was, she was an orphan kid. So I got to know her a little bit and we quickly became inseparable. Anywhere that I went, she always followed me and would, would tag along. And she would practice her English and I would practice my Makua and my Portuguese with her. And I'll never forget, after the entirety of the school year had taken place, it was about two and a half months worth of school. We had been hanging out quite a bit. And we were walking along the coastline one day in Pimba, and she was practicing her English by writing my name uh, with a stick in the sand. And, I, you know, I thought it was the cutest thing. I'm like, man, this little girl, like, she deserves a father's love. 
You know, I just wanna love this girl. I wanna adopt this girl. I just wanna care for this girl. Like, it's not fair. You know, what's happened to her life at seven. And, you know, I just really felt like, you know, this is, this is, this is like a daughter to me, you know? And I was just 23, but I just felt like there's something about this girl that's very special. When I watched her write my name in the sand, God spoke to me in that moment. And he said, this is gonna be your first daughter out of thousands of children. Out of thousands of children. And you know, that's a kind of a big word. You know, so you're like, wow, I, okay, yes, God, you know? And I'm just thinking about her and I'm like, man, I really, you know, I really wanna have this girl in my life. And I want you guys to know that I still talk to Zina today. Uh, this is almost 10 years later. And she and I, we're Instagram friends today. And so we, we connect in the DM, you know, hang out, direct message. And, um, you know, she's getting ready to graduate high school in a year. And so we, we've, stayed, we've stayed connected. She'll still text me, say, hey, Papa Lyle. And, and usually she's not asking for cookies or chicken anymore. Usually it's like an iMac, you know, so a few things have changed. But we're still connected. We're still close. She's still a daughter uh, in, my, in, in my heart. And what happened that day whenever God told me, like, hey, this is going to be your first daughter out of thousands of kids, that was, that was quite unbelievable to me. I really, couldn't, I really couldn't imagine that happening. But the truth is, through Mercy 29, this organization that I began at 23, Dinah, uh, excuse me, Zina truly did become the first daughter out of thousands of kids. Like she truly did. Like God held up his end of the deal. He allowed uh, Mercy 29 to grow enough to where we could adopt Zina and, uh, you know, fund her school, education, health care, pay for her food and everything. Found her a sponsor, which was me and some friends of mine from my home church in Kentucky. And pretty soon as Mercy 29 began to grow, we actually were able to adopt the other 12 girls, or excuse me, the other 12 kids who lived in, in her home. And so that was how Mercy 29 began in Africa. It was not that much longer that we moved on to India. And in India, as you guys know, as I mentioned earlier, we did care for thousands of kids. Well, then after this season of my life, I moved here to Nashville, ended up becoming a church planter, starting a local church in the buckle of the Bible belt. And I realized something. You don't have to be a child to behave like an orphan. I, I, I recognize this as my time as a church planter is that orphans are not just in Africa. Orphans are not just in India, but there are people who have grown up physically and in stature, but they're still orphans in their heart and in their spirit. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It is actually possible for us to grow up, but never grow in our heart and in our soul and live like orphans. It's possible to grow as a Christian and never truly understand that we have been adopted by the Spirit to become sons and daughters of God. Orphans come in all shapes, all sizes, all races, all ages, all colors, all nationalities, because even though we may be saved, even though we may go to church, even though we may give in the offering, even though we may serve, even though we may participate in spiritual community, we can still live like we are orphans. That's right. And some people are like, oh, that's, that's totally not true. Well, you know, we, we've been free from that. But even though we've been freed from that and received the Holy Spirit, we can still have orphan tendencies. 
How many of you guys know that, you know, even, even though we're saved, even though we're born again, even though we become believers, we still have to be discipled and receive our daily bread day by day so that we can be transformed by God's grace to become more like Jesus. And a big part of that is working out that orphan spirit. Whenever Jesus said, you didn't receive the spirit of the world, you received the spirit of truth, you know, he's showing us, look, the Holy Spirit, that's the spirit from the Father. That's a family spirit. The spirit of the world, that's an orphan spirit. That's the spirit that communicates to you that you're all alone, that you're not worthy of belonging or acceptance, that you don't fit in a family, that you'll never have community, that your parents don't love you and that they've cast you off and don't want anything to do with you. That's the spirit of the world. And even though we would say, well, I had good parents. Well, I grew up in a good home. You know, some of us are still battling that mindset day in and day out, isolating ourselves, critiquing ourselves, chastising ourselves, rejecting ourselves in such a way that our self-esteem is very low. We don't walk in any peace. We don't know who we are. And we're afraid that everybody that we meet is going to reject us. Is this hidden home yet? Because this is what... I believe Christ calls out whenever he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Notice he didn't say, I'm not going to leave you because he had a plan. He had a purpose. He knew that he was going to be crucified, die, be buried, resurrect on the third day and ascend to the father. He knew that he had to leave his 12 disciples in that moment. But he said, hey, listen, here's the prophetic promise. Though I'm leaving you, I'm not leaving you as orphans because I'm not leaving you to yourself. I'm not leaving you in isolation. I'm not leaving you in rejection. I'm going for a benefit to you, which is so that you can have the same fellowship with the father that I have through my blood. Is, is this helping anybody yet? Okay. I, I just felt like I was preaching about 30% better than y'all are saying amen. Just mess with you. So when Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, what is he talking about? What's an orphan? You know, you think about an orphan. I thought about this a little bit. Like what, what classifies as an orphan? Well, to me, the first thing an orphan is, is somebody who lives like they don't have any parents. That's, that's first. An orphan lives like they don't have any parents. All right. Secondly, they live like they don't have a family. They don't have any community, right? Not only do they not have parents, they don't have accountability. They don't have connection with authority. You know, they don't have any community. They don't have friendships. They don't have connections. They don't have a family. And the third thing is orphans live like they don't have a home. And this is probably the foundation of the orphan spirit is to live like we don't have a home. We live life like there is no safety for us, like there is no refuge for us. There is no security for us. There is no place that we can go and just be ourselves. There's no place that we can go and admit our shortcomings and talk about our faults and be vulnerable and say, hey, man, I messed up. I don't have it all together. I'm not right. I didn't, I didn't figure this out. Hey, I fell short. I missed the mark. I sinned. I'm struggling with condemnation. I'm dealing with this. See, orphans live like that's not possible. That doesn't even exist to an orphan because an orphan has no place to call home. There's no place of safety and security. That's, that's the orphan spirit. That's what they wrestle with. I learned this firsthand in India because when we were there, we ended up starting a children's home for untouchable children. And if you know what untouchable children are, they are considered to be the lowest class of society in India, untouchables. And the reason they're called untouchables is because they're not supposed to be touched, all right? So the high-class people of India, the high-caste 
people of India, you know, they're not going to touch an untouchable because they are seen not even as people. They're seen as people who don't deserve being touched. They don't deserve affection. They don't deserve love. They don't deserve security. They don't deserve belonging. And so these untouchable kids, you know, they sit on street corners and they beg. You know, I I remember one time I offered a cup of tea to an untouchable lady who was begging on the side of the street. And I didn't realize that because I offered it to her, I purchased it from the cart and I offered it to her and it was in a glass cup. The guy who was selling me the tea ran around, grabbed the cup from me and basically rebuked me saying, you can't give this glass cup to this untouchable woman because if she drinks from it, I got to throw this away. It's no longer pure. It's no longer good. So they serve the untouchable people in different cups that they can throw away because they think they'll be defiled by touching anything that they touch. I mean, can you imagine growing up like that? Can you imagine being told as soon as you came into the world and could comprehend anything about yourself that you're an untouchable and that you're not worthy of any love, that you're not worthy of an embrace, that you're not worthy of a kiss, that you're not worthy of touch? I mean, can you imagine living life like that? That's, that's, it's crazy, but we have a whole lot of people here in the West who've grown up by far very much differently, but on the inside, they live like untouchables. And they believe that about themselves. And when we brought these kids into our home, it was a very interesting experience because these untouchable children, some of them, you know, when they heard that we had opened up this, this, this orphanage, it was called a hostel, but really that's just a nice way of saying orphanage or, you know, we didn't believe in orphanages. Iris plants children's homes, but essentially that's what it is. It's an orphanage. And so we, we start this home and we start this school and we put an ad in the paper and we actually sent some of our guys around to pass out flyers in the untouchable villages. And we said, hey, we wanna bring in orphan kids and untouchable kids and kids that don't have a home and we wanna provide them with free education, free housing, free food, and um, also introduce them to Jesus. You know, we, and, and we put that out there publicly. And it was crazy what happened because once that went out, within one week, we had 300 kids in that home. I mean, you just think, man, that's 300 kids. I know. We were only prepared for like 100. So when we open up the doors and all these kids start coming in, the staff's like, don't let any more kids in. That's impossible, for me at least. Because when I was standing out in the front in the morning, reading the paper, drinking the tea, and a kid shows up with only the clothes on their back, and they're like, hey, can I come to school here? And I remember one specific kid, he had like half a ear. And I'm like, how am I going to say no to this kid? Come in. And so anytime we would bring a kid in, we always did the exact same thing. It was sort of a tradition. We would feed them a meal. That was the first thing that we did every single time that we'd bring a kid in. We'd feed them a meal. And so we'd get a, we, we would eat uh, off banana leaves there. And so we'd get a banana leaf. And uh, usually I, I would come through because it's an Indian custom that a father serves rice. I don't, I don't, I don't know why that is, but that was in Andhra Pradesh. And so I would always serve the rice. Because I wanted to communicate with them, hey, you may have never had a father figure in your life, but you do now. You're safe. Like, we're going to feed you. We're going to love you. You're accepted here. You don't have to do anything to belong here. You just are. You just, you just are invited. You just are a son. You just are a daughter. And so we're going to welcome you into this family with, with a banquet. So here's a bunch of rice. And I would always get in trouble for giving too much rice. And my staff would always say, man, why are you giving so much rice? And I said, man, when Jesus said that when you've done uh, unto the least of these, you've done unto me. And so how much rice would you give Jesus? 
<laughs> he's getting all the rice. You know what I'm saying? And so I would always give too much rice. And I always did that, but I put a bunch of rice. I remember this little boy um, came in. His nickname was Pandu, which is uh, Telugu for the word fruit. And uh, I, don't, I never could figure out why they call him fruit. But once he started eating, I realized, man, this is a plump kid. You know, and so he just starts chowing down, you know, as a rice and curry. And man, like we put it down in front of him. He doesn't even look up. He doesn't look around. He doesn't ask anything. He doesn't talk. We're trying to talk to him. He's just ignoring us. And he's just boom, boom, boom. Boom. And at first I'm like, dude, how is this kid eating this much rice? You know, seconds, thirds, you know, he had mango at the end and everything. Like it was crazy. And so I'm like, how is this kid eating so much food? I started to get embarrassed because this kid was out eating me. I was like, I have never eaten this much in my life. This kid is three years old. But then the more and more that he continued to eat, I started to realize something. He's not just eating this way because the food I cooked is good. He's eating this way because he has no security in his life. And he actually does not believe that any more food is gonna be placed in front of him after this meal. And so he's taking the opportunity to stuff himself full until he becomes sick with the food because he is afraid that he will never get another meal like this, which is why he's not talking. And, it, and, and, it, and I stepped out of the room because I was like, I was gonna cry. I was like, I can't believe this. I can't believe that this kid really believes that no one loves him enough to feed him. He is three. He is three years old. I recognize we got to start making an announcement because all the kids were getting sick because they were eating too much food when they came into the home. So every time we served breakfast, we'd say, hey guys, don't eat yourself sick. There will be lunch. But nobody would talk when breakfast time. No, none of the kids would talk to each other. They'd just eat and then they would get sick. And then at lunch, when they would come home from school, he'd say, hey guys, you don't have to eat yourself sick. There's gonna be dinner. They don't talk to each other. They just eat until they make themselves sick. Same thing at dinner. And they did this for like three weeks. And I could tell you guys, honestly, from our food bill, like I calculated it as far as just what we spent in rice. Our food bill went from like this to this after three weeks. Because after three weeks, the kids started to get accustomed to getting three meals a day. And they began to expect, okay, somebody loves me enough to put another meal in front of my face, even though I finished breakfast. Wow. And the, the room went from absolute silence to nobody talking to each other, to them cutting up and laughing and having fun and slapping high fives and like, you know, singing songs and smiles on their faces and, and having joy. Wow. And I realized as I watched this little kid eat this meal, just, you know, slamming this meal, like he has absolutely no safety in his life. He has no security. He has no peace. He, he's never been told how much someone loves him or who he really is. We received them into the home and we started treating them like family right from the very beginning. But even though their living conditions changed, there was no change yet on the inside of their heart and in their minds. Even though they had been brought into family, they still lived like orphans. Even though they had been brought into a home, they still thought like orphans. It is absolutely possible for us as born again Christians to be brought into a home, but still live like orphans. It's possible for us to join a family and be a part of a community, but on the inside still live without safety and security and feel like that we're going to go without, that we have no home. It's still possible. This is what we call the orphan spirit. And the orphan spirit is, is a way of life, all right? Think of it as more so of a mindset or a way of life. 
And for many of us living in America today, um, we live like orphans on the inside. You know, as, I, as I thought about this, uh, this week, I realized, like the apostle Paul said, you have all kinds of teachers, but you don't have very many fathers. You guys remember that passage? Here, let me frame it up a different way. You have a lot of people who want to be leaders, but not very many people who want to be fathers. When I, see, when I get around a leader, I hear about how important they are. But when I get around a father, I feel how important I am. And so we have a whole lot of people who want to lead for the sake of recognition, but we don't have a whole lot of people who want to be a mama or a daddy for the sake of service. Because you don't actually step into parenthood until you understand the truth behind legacy and knowing that it's not your strength or your status as a parent that makes you great, but your willingness to suffer and to serve on behalf of those that you've given birth to, so to speak. And that works both in the natural and in the spirit. Any dude can be a baby's daddy, but it takes a father to raise a baby. You guys with me? It takes a father to raise a kid. It takes a father to walk with a son. It takes a father to walk with a daughter. But on the other hand, if you just have teachers, all you're looking for is a moment of inspiration or motivation or, you know, to look good. So to step into that other role as a mom or as a dad is actually what deals with this mindset of the orphan spirit. Mothers, fathers, having love, affection, security, knowing that we belong and that we're accepted is actually what deals with the orphan spirit in our life, which is really what the family life is supposed to be like. It's what church is supposed to be like. And it's what God's spirit has been given to you for the purpose of. The spirit of God belongs to you to remind you that you belong to him. That you are a son, that you are a daughter, that you have been adopted, that you are a part of the family, that you have eternal security through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why the spirit has been given to you. We can get saved, we can join a church, we can work in ministry, we can change our clothes, we can change who we hang out with, we can change the neighborhood that we live in, we can change the place that we work, but we can still live like that starving Indian boy that I just told you guys a story about. No parents, living like we don't have parents, living like we don't have family, living like we don't have a home. The reason for that is because orphans are forced to focus on what they do not have. And when we live like orphans, a mindset of lack, not abundance, permeates our every way of life. And that's the way that we live. When we live like orphans, we, we see the world through a lens of lack. And as a result, our entire lives are shaped by it. Here's a few more examples of the orphan mindset working in our lives, all right? So if you're taking notes, write these down. I'm gonna share four things very quickly. Number one, the orphan spirit. Orphans are independent and self-reliant to the extreme. 
all right? So the reason that they're like this is because they have learned that this is the only way to get any of their needs met. They, they believe in their mind. They are viewing the world through a lens of lack so that they believe that no one will help them ever with anything. No one's ever gonna do them a favor. No one's, no one's ever gonna you know, pull them up or support them or promote them. That if anything is gonna happen good in their life, they're gonna have to make it happen in their own strength. And so they've, they've learned to become extremely independent and self-reliant. These type of people hate receiving help from anybody. You, you know, you try to help and they're like, no, I'm good. And you're like, you're not good. No, no, I'm totally fine. But you're not fine. Totally good. You know, maybe you, you should come to church with me. I don't need church. I'm just going to chill out over here all by myself. Because this is where I got it together. But if you've ever been in that season before, you know that that's the face that you put on when you walk outside. But at night when the lights go dim and you're laying in bed, you tend to soak your pillow in tears, crying out to God for friends and family and people who understand, who love and accept you despite your circumstances. And I've been there before, and I'm sure that some of us have been there. But that's one of the aspects of the orphan mindset or the orphan spirit. That's why this starving boy in India never looked away from his plate. He had to finish everything in a hurry because he had no sense of security in his life. No one was ever gonna do him any favors. Here's the second thing. Orphans are very insecure. They possess little to no peace on the inside. The reason that they're so insecure is because they don't know who they are. They have no sense of lasting identity. This week, they're this. Next week, they're that. The following week, they're that. You know, basically, they try to become whoever they need to be to get the affection and attention of the people they happen to be around in that season of life. We have a, the reason why we have the things that we have on like Instagram and social media and people posting pictures, don't even go to the explore page. If you're a dude, don't even click on that. If you exercise at any point in your life and have ever tagged fitness, just don't even go to the explore page. All right, because there's all these. Okay, y'all gonna let me just be real and be honest for a little bit because there's all these girls and there's all these guys. It's not, it's not just girls and it's not just guys who are like wearing nothing. And they're like, check me out, you know, or worse or way worse, right? I'm just doing squats. You know. You guys know what I'm talking about, man. Right? And you know, that, that right there in my mind is a byproduct of the orphan spirit. Because see, if orphans cannot get your affection, they will settle for your attention. If, if orphans cannot get your affection, they will settle for your attention. And all that is, like that attention deficit disorder, right? It's, 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 it's working in a different way. But it's, it's basically saying, hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. Hey, accept me. Hey, find me attractive. Hey, find me as being great. Hey, accept me. Hey, let me have your attention. It's a counterfeit for affection. They're not actually having their real needs met on a spiritual level deep down on the inside, so they have to settle 
for surface level physical attention because their deepest needs are not going being met. And so sometimes I see, you know, and I, as a dude, okay, as a dude, sometimes I see those girls and I know it's inappropriate, but I just want to comment like the father loves you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I don't want to do that because I'm like, it's like, are you the father? Like, what's your deal, man? You know, like, what are you trying to say, bro? You know, you know, but I just, I'm like, you know, I, you guys with me? So we have to be honest about our needs, but that's the thing that the, that, that an orphan is, is never honest about that, what they really need. That's why they're so, they're, they're insecure on the inside, which is why they project so much security on the outside. They almost overdo it and they almost over project the sense of their life being awesome because on the inside, they're so insecure and they don't know who they are, that they're scared on the inside, which is why they need to let you believe that they have it all together on the outside. Yeah. I feel like I just need to reframe this message and preach it again as some type of like generational message yeah. to our social media obsessed selves. Yeah. I think I might do that. I should just like, I should write a book on this. No, seriously, because I, I, and I've thought about it for a while because my parents' generation, my, I'm a PK, okay, my parents are pastors and my parents' generation struggle with something called the prosperity gospel. You guys ever heard of that before? It's a, it's a doctrine of demons. It's a straight up lie. It's basically the idea that you are only as anointed as you are wealthy. That if you don't have money, God don't love you. That's essentially what the prosperity gospel is, right? It's like you are only as worthy as you are well off. That's the prosperity gospel. But see, our generation doesn't really struggle with the prosperity gospel. You talk to them about money, they're like, I don't care about money. I'm fine. I'm doing what I love. We live in Nashville, full of hipsters. We all subscribe to that, okay? Money, I'm an artist. You know, anyways, so I live for art, bro. Um, I'm just messing with y'all. And so... That's the, that's the prosperity gospel. Now, see, our generation, what we struggle with is not the prosperity gospel so much. It is the popularity gospel. It is, I am only as anointed as I am influential. I am only as worthy of being loved as I am famous. Perfect timing. <laughs> Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's, dude, that is real, man. Because we subscribe to this way of thought that, man, I'm not getting everybody's attention, so I must not be important. When the Father's like, you've already got my attention. You know, I've given you my attention. You know, before I even formed you in your mother's womb, you had the fullness of my attention. You had the fullness of my attention when I sent you Jesus. You are loved, you are accepted. You find your affection in him. And when we discover that affection through Jesus Christ in the depths of our heart in that way, we, we don't wrestle so much with that, with that, I need attention. I need to grab attention. I need to get everybody's attention. I need to have all of the attention because my deepest needs are, be, needs are being met on a heart level. Does this make sense to you guys? 
I can't tell if you guys are soaking it up or I'm just like. Here's it. Here, I got two more. Um, orphans always compete with others. And so what they do is they struggle with jealousy from other people's positions or successes. And here's one of the reasons, another reason why the starving boy um, ate his food so fast is because he didn't want somebody else to come over and steal it. And he was afraid of that. He was genuinely afraid that if he didn't eat quick and he didn't get his and he didn't look out for number one, that somebody else was gonna come and steal his blessing. If he wasn't working hard enough, if he wasn't doing enough, if he wasn't becoming enough, then somebody else was gonna come along and get what was meant for him. Can I just tell you that you're never gonna accidentally open a gift that God meant for somebody else. I don't believe that because I think God is such a good father that he handwrites the names of his children on the gifts that he intends on giving them. And so even though you might not open it up when he gives it to you, I believe with all of my heart that in the faithfulness and goodness of God, he'll bring that back around to you in a future season and say, here you go. This was meant for you to carry. This is your identity. This is my affection. This is your affirmation. But a lot of times we think, oh, the gifts of the Father, we need to compete for them. We need to compete for anointing. We need to compete for, you know, promotion. We need to compete for whatever it is, fill in the blank. Hey, you're not gonna accidentally open up somebody else's gift. The Father is really good at giving good gifts to his kids. You open the gifts that are meant for you. How much would it break your heart if you had kids and you, know, you gave both of them a gift that you thought through incredibly long and the one wouldn't open his gift for jealousy because the other person got the same gift that they got, they just would never open it. Wow. I, I think that we, we struggle with that all the time. Last one, orphans don't do well with discipline. Now this is something that I, to be honest with you guys, was probably the hardest thing about um, you know, starting a nonprofit organization, bringing orphan children into your home is, is that orphans, they've never had any good parenting before. And even if they have had any good parenting before, they've had to pretend like everything is okay for so long that they've closed their spirit off from input. Oh no, I don't want, I don't need any input. I'm fine. I, 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 you know, I don't need any feedback. I'm good. You know, I got this thing all figured out by myself, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm great. I'm totally fine. That's one of the other aspects of the orphan spirit. It's <clears throat> all of these things, these four things. You know, the tendency is when you hear this to think about somebody who needs to hear this message. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if I could just bring that guy I work with, man, he's such an orphan. Man, if I could just get my mom here, if I could just get my dad, if I could just get my son, if I could just get my daughter, if I could just get my cousin here. And to not let God deal with the tendencies and the mindsets that we have that keep us from the unbroken fellowship with the Father that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pave the way for. See, when Jesus said, hey, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans, he was talking to some scared disciples. The disciples had been walking with Jesus for three years. They were afraid that whenever Jesus said, hey, I'm gonna leave, this is where I'm going, 
And if you read John 14, Thomas is like, we don't know where you're going. Almost like he felt insulted. Like, there's no way. How, do, how are we gonna know where you're going unless you tell us? You know, he's freaking out. And then you got Judas and he's like, what are you talking about seeing the Father? We haven't seen the Father manifest the Father to us. You know, they're scared. They're, they're freaking out. They're going crazy because Jesus is talking about, hey, I'm about to leave. But how many of you guys know that it was to our benefit that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was resurrected and ascended to the Father because Jesus said, I'm gonna send you another helper. And this helper is not just gonna walk around with you for three years. He's gonna live inside of you forever. You guys, you guys get that? For thousands of years, all throughout the Old Testament, we read stories of God visiting His people. God's Spirit would come upon His people. God's Spirit would abide with His people. But it wasn't until Jesus Christ died on the cross and resurrected could God's Spirit live in His people. And God's Spirit lives in you, and by that Spirit you have been adopted and been given permission to cry out, Abba, Father. Let's read it real quick as we close. Romans 8, 15 said, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Here's the deal. Christ is the only remedy for orphanhood. That without Jesus, we'll wander this world thinking, feeling, living, acting like orphans. But with Christ and because of his blood, we can be brought near and be adopted as sons and as daughters and live like we have parents, live like we have a family and live like we have a home. As we're closing, um, you know, I, I want you guys to know that I believe with all of my heart that the reason why God asked me to share this today, and I told first service, I said, hey, this is not a sermon that I'm just, I'm just gonna share. All right, it's not a sermon. It's not a polished sermon. I don't have a bunch of points. You know, it's not a sermon. I'm just gonna share, all right? So I'm just sharing with you guys because I feel even the parts I didn't address today, I feel like are becoming increasingly important for our community. Because if we're really gonna be a family, we're gonna have to deal with our orphan tendencies. You know, you know what's even crazier about this? Is that this passage today is being read all over the world by millions of Christians in all sorts of denominations, in every nation, in all kinds of different churches. Like this is the lectionary reading for the day. And I just felt so strongly as I studied it this week, this is a word for our house. That God would not leave us as orphans, but that he would come to us and be with us. So as you're standing, I wanna pray together. And I wanna pray today that we would hear directly from the directly from the Father. And maybe I could do a follow-up to this at some point, maybe a part two. In a sense, it's kind of a little bit of a prophetic process with you guys today, but I just want to say thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for grace and for mercy. Thank you for deliverance. Thank you for freedom. Thank you that your spirit cast off the bondage of fear and slavery and it adopts us and brings us into family and we can live like we have a home. We don't need to live seeking attention because we've already received the Father's affection. So Lord, let the Father's affection just wash over our hearts today. Let it wash over our souls today. Let it wash over our minds today. And let us come home in Jesus' name. I want to ask if a few um, 
moms and dads in the house uh, could come up. And I know it's, it's funny because most of the moms and dads are in the first service, but I know the Kohanskis are here and I want to invite them to come up. Yeah, yeah, you guys come too. I know Sean's downstairs, but Sarah, I want you to come up as well. And uh, Philip and Naomi, you guys come up as well. Hey, they're their parents now. Justin and Teal, you guys come up as well. And all these guys, all these guys are parents. And what I want you to do as, uh, as you're leaving today, as we dismiss, if you wanna come up for prayer, get some prayer. But here's, re here's really what I want you to do. I just want you to come up and get a hug. You guys okay with that? Okay, it feels really awkward. Are you guys okay with that? So I just want you to come up and get a hug. And for those of you guys doing the hugging, just let them know, like, you are loved, you are accepted, and we bless you. Some people in here have not had a hug from a mom or a dad. John, you and Brittany come up if you guys don't mind. I'd love for you guys to give out some hugs. John is so tall. He's just a good hugger. You just get buried right in his bosom. It's just... Let's oh. get some hugs, all right? Awesome, guys. I'm gonna have Stephen come up and dismiss you. But you guys are sons and our daughters, and, and we love you. Could we just bless the Lord real quick? Big round of applause and just bless Jesus. We just say, Jesus, we celebrate you and we bless you. We thank you for your blood and for your spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you guys for sharing.